Let us pray. <clears throat> Holy Father, we approach thy throne seeking thy divine assistance in every way. That our minds be fruitful upon your word. That we might honor and speak those things that are agreeable unto your word. And that it might find lodging in the souls of all who hear. <coughs> Unless you bless what is said, it will be so many words, it will go in. As the old saying goes, one ear and out the other. But we would desire that it would be honoring and pleasing unto you. We continue to pray for those in distant lands. who are endeavoring to encourage the saints. And we would ask our God that you would not only bless them to be an encouragement to the saints, that you might open doors to advance the gospel where it had never been before. That you would bless their minds to be fruitful as they proclaim the gospel of Christ. And for those who have traveled great distances to meet with them, that you would not only give them safety in all of their travels and there be no breakdowns or delays or anything of that nature, but also that their souls would be fed and greatly encouraged in the Lord. We who have lived in this country all of our lives do not know how to appreciate many of the benefits not only that we have had but that we still have. And yet much of the freedoms and liberties 
that we have benefited from are fastly being eroded in this nation. We have leaders that are, from all indication, quite wicked. They rule wickedly. They live wickedly. And therefore, we must conclude that they are wicked indeed. We know that you could change their hearts. And we would ask that you might do so if it seemed good in your sight. But if not, we would pray for your restraining grace that you would prevent them from going to the depth of the wickedness that they would go if left to themselves. We know in our own case, if you were to leave us to ourselves, we too would plunge ourselves into great wickedness and ungodliness. And the only reason that we stand is by Your grace and power. And for those that come to mind that we will not mention their names publicly, but there are two or three that comes to mind quite readily that are in a very a very bad condition, to say the least. That we would like to see Your great power to bring repentance in their lives, cause them to repent of their sins, turn from their wicked ways, and be delivered by Thy great grace and mercy. Prevent them from bringing shame and disgrace on the cause of Christ. This we ask, O God. Nevertheless, Thy will be done. Now again, we ask that You would Bless us as we continue in the rest of this service. In Jesus' name, Amen. We come back to 1 John chapter 3. And we've been looking at this section having to do with with uh, with love i'll read several of the verses and then we'll come back and look at some of them in particularly but uh, i'll take up in verse 11 
Though, as you know, uh, John has uh, been talking about Christian love throughout this epistle. Not only is it a uh, an epistle that has to do with knowledge and knowing, but it has a great deal to say about loving God and loving God's people and not loving the world. So if we really wanted to get the full context, we just read the whole epistle. But we won't take the time to do that. We'll pick up in verse 11. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. I'm sure that I have the verse probably written down somewhere in my notes, but I want to pause for just a second and read a verse, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 9. It immediately came to mind when I read verse 11 of 1 John 3. But 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, which we've quoted many times here, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. In other words, one of the basic, fundamental attributes of a child of grace is loving God's people. And if a person is not exhibiting love toward the people of God, it speaks very ill of them. <clears throat> now read verse 11 again, 1 John 3. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. And he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. For if our heart 
condemn us. God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. And he that keepeth His commandments dwelleth in Him, and He in Him. And hereby we know that He abideth in us by the Spirit, which he hath given us. Again, verse 14, we know. We know we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. We know that. I never will forget early in my ministry, sadly, there was a controversy that was going on among ministers and articles being written in the religious papers and magazines as to whether you could know if you were a child of God or not. <clears throat> and of course, uh, people would set up a straw man, and some people would say, well, there's no way that anybody could know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're a child of God and, and go on and take it up from there. Well, I don't know that there's anything that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. I've sometimes doubted whether I really exist. I mean, it doesn't take long to realize that I do. About as, about as quick as, I, as, as the thought has come to my mind. But Satan will enter anything into your thoughts. And you begin to wonder, in other words, is all of this real? You know? And so I can see where we can doubt anything. Even things that are obvious. Just simply because of the lies and the deception that Satan would put into our minds. And like I said, sometimes the thought goes out, goes away as quick as it comes, but it's there. But to say that you cannot know whether you're a child of God or not is contrary to to the Word of God. Notice, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. You say, well, I don't know whether I really love the brethren or not. 
Well, we're going to see whether you know or not. I can, I can give you concrete information as to whether you love God's children or not. John does so. He doesn't leave it to any question. And it, ha- it has nothing to do with how you feel about somebody. It has nothing to do with how you think about somebody. Obviously, feelings and thoughts will enter into it. But God does not give us our thoughts or our feelings as to whether we are uh, whether we love the brethren or not. It's by our actions. Verse 15, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. Now let me say this. If love is not a feeling first and is an action Likewise, hatred is not a feeling first. It too is an action. Now, we have lived, we, we have lived in a society that has propagated feelings first so long that it's hard for us to get out of our thinking what true love and hatred is. Cain manifested his hatred by killing his brother. And what is it that manifested Cain's hatred to his brother. It was his wicked works. And what was primarily the wicked work? He killed him. It's not how Cain felt about Abel. It's what Cain did to Abel. And it's not how we feel about somebody is how we act toward an individual. And if a person is a murderer, you know that eternal life does not abide in him. Now, again, we have to qualify what is being said here in the same light that we did in verses 8, 9, and 10, particularly 8 and 9. David committed murder. 
But he was not a murderer. That is, he didn't live the life of a murderer. So we're not talking necessarily about a one-time act, though a one-time act could be quite revealing as to the character of an individual. But usually, and the general consensus is that a person doesn't just commit a one-time act in his sins, he practices it. It's a habit with him, in other words. In other words, I'm ashamed to say But at one time, I was a smoker. I smoked uh, when I was quite a young child. I was smoking as early as grade school. I was actually smoking some things before I went to school. We won't get into how that happened. But, uh, and as a teenager, I was uh, even smoking before in front of my parents. I was a smoker. What did that mean? I smoked on a continual basis. I didn't just smoke one time and quit. I smoked day after day after day after day after day. I practiced smoking. Now, if I'd had any sense, which I don't know that sinners usually have any sense, if I'd had any sense, the first time I had uh, inhaled or brought any smoke into my system, I would have had enough sense to say, this doesn't taste good. I'm going to quit. But I didn't have any sense. I wanted to impress people that were older than me and and so on. And so I practiced it till I was comfortable with it. And I, from then on, practiced it day by day by day until God, by His marvelous grace, blessed me to quit some 50-some-odd years ago. I was a smoker. I practiced it. And a murderer An individual that practices hatred is a murderer and he does not have eternal life. You cannot get around 1 John 3.15. You cannot get around it. 
Now notice what he says. This hatred is in the present active participle, which we what we've been expressing and talking about. Even first John chapter two and verse nine says, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness until now. And then in the eleventh verse of chapter two. He that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Then in verse 16 he says, Hereby perceive we the love of God. Now notice, this word perceive is one of those Greek words that we found throughout 1 John that's no, it's gnosko. In other words, perceive is just simply saying we know. We know. Hereby know we the love of God. How do we know that God loves us? How does a Christian know that God loves him? By how he feels? No. That's not what it says. Hereby know we or perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us. The reason I know that God loves me is because Jesus Christ died for my sins. No matter how I feel, if I get up in the morning with a headache, I'm still just as saved from my sins as I was earlier singing some of the songs of Zion. And if my cup runs over tonight before I go to bed, and I'm rejoicing in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and still get up in the morning with a headache, I'm still just as saved in the morning as I am tonight if I were to have such feelings. Why? Because Christ died for my sins. I know the love of God. How do I know the love of God? Christ died for my sins. He didn't die for the sins of everyone. He only died for the sins of His sheep. But if I am a genuine believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm one of His sheep. Just that simple. Just that simple. Believing is not simple. (laughs) Believing has to be only by the grace of God. It has to be a gift. 
Everybody, not all men have not faith. Second Thessalonians uh, three two, I believe it is, or two three. I keep getting it mixed up. So what what are we what are we aiming at? We're aiming at how it is that we know that we are a child of grace. We know the love of God because He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Here's the question, beloved. Are you willing to die for any child of grace? Notice, I'm not saying a child of grace that you like a lot. I'm not saying a child of grace that is part of your family. But any child of grace. Are we willing to lay down our life for the brethren? He said, well, I don't know about that. Well, John's going to get where the rubber meets the road pretty soon, but I want us to dissect this passage a little bit. The idea is to lay down our life. Let's look at this word as it's used a few times. It's used 103 times in the Scriptures, but obviously we won't look at all of those. But look at Matthew 5, verse 15. I want you to get, as much as possible, get the full impact of what it is to lay down your life. Matthew 5.15 Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick and it giveth light to all that are in the house. The word that's translated lay down our life is the word put. Are you willing to put your life in the place of someone else. You know, you'll be watching a movie sometime and somebody's going to be shot and someone else will put themselves in front to take the bullet. Are you willing to put yourself in the place of someone else? I ask myself this quite often. 
chapter 12 of Matthew. Verse 18. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put, there's the word again, I will put my spirit upon him and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. Matthew 22, verse 44. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make, there's the word, thine enemies thy footstool. Well, I chapter twenty four of Matthew. Verse 51. And I will cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I thought some of these were quite interesting. Luke 21. Luke twenty one fourteen. Settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what you shall answer. The word settle. In other words, put it in place. Lay it lay it down. Be determined. John 10. John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Give. The good shepherd laid down his life. He gave his life for the sheep. We ought to give our lives for one another. Verse 15, As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. There it is, lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man 
taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. In other words, just as Christ gave Himself, so ought we. Chapter 13 of John. Thirty-seven and thirty-eight. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Will thou lay down thy life for my, my sake? In other words, Peter said, I, I, I'll lay down my life for you. But when it come to the point, when it come time for, for Peter to do so, that night, he faltered. But eventually, Peter did lay down his life for the Lord. Beloved, let us learn from Peter not to be too sure. We need to remember what James said, the Lord willing. I'll lay down my life. The Lord willing, I'll do this or that. The Lord willing. You say, well, shouldn't we do it? No question about what we are to do. Acts chapter 19 for one other place. Acts chapter 19. In verse 21. Well, I think I put the wrong passage. Well, I did something wrong. Anyway, you get the idea. Hopefully you've got the idea. So John tells us unequivocally, Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now we get down to the nuts and bolts. Look at verse 17. You say, well, I don't know whether I'll lay down my life for the brethren or not. Well, would you do this? Whoso Excuse me, yeah. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? 
Now we get down to the pocketbook, so to speak. But more than the pocketbook. It would include the pocketbook if, if necessary. It might include just the pantry. Or it might include a telephone call. In other words, it's going to include whatever your brother needs that you have. Think about that. Whatever it is that you have, world's good. World's Good. Whoso hath this world's good. The word hath here is present active subjunctive, which is he is. Habitually in possession of. It's not somebody that just happens to have a little bit of money right now. They normally don't have any money. Somebody comes along and gives them some money. It may be that the money that's given to them is needed to take care of his own. Obviously, he that provides not for his own has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. And he just he has a little money. All he can do is pay the debt that he has. He knows his brother has need. So what does he do? Is he guilty? No. He's not guilty if he doesn't rush to give that money to his brother. You know, people can lay guilt trips on you for no good reason. But this word hath, as we said, is, it is present active subjunctive. You say, well, what does that mean? That means you're in the habit of possession and you are habitually in possession of this world's goods. Goods indicates one that has all of the necessities of life. He has plenty of food. He has plenty of clothing. He has plenty of shelter. He has a good bank account. 
You know, in other words, he's well provided. Might even be a rich man. Might be just one that is moderate. But he has plenty. It's not the person that is poor that all of a sudden somebody gives him a little bit of money. Now, if the person that is poor <coughs> could meet all of his bills and he believes that God would have him to help his poor brother with a little bit, and he does that, that's well and good. But what I want to try to point out, what the Bible is teaching here, it's not talking about somebody that's just barely making it by. It's talking about that he's in that habitually, day after day after day after day, he has food in his freezer, he has food in the pantry, he has money in the bank, he has extra clothes in his closet, he has, you know, he is habitually in possession of this world's goods. That's who John is talking about. And in the country in which we live, that's most of us. That's most of us. This morning, while I was waiting for people to come, well, actually, when I first pulled up uh, to where we meet here, uh, I saw a vehicle over by the dumpster next door. And it kind of caught my eye. And it's not uncommon to see people uh, in the neighborhood to pull up there and throw some stuff off by the dumpster or it may be in the dumpster if it happens to be unlocked and drive off. But this car was there and there was a man standing outside uh, going through stuff. Sat there in the car for a little bit and watched him and came in here and did a few things and 30 minutes later the man was still out there going through the dumpster. Digging stuff out. Going through bags and boxes that piled up beside the dumpster. So I would assume that that man does not have this world's goods. Though I have seen some video clips of people that make a practice of dumpster diving that do a pretty good living at it. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to uh, preach a sermon on dumpster diving. That's not my point here. It's what do we mean by this world's goods? And I would say that the man that is, if he is having a hard time making it, and he doesn't want to be on the government dole, 
and he goes around doing what we would say dumpster diving, uh, I have to commend that man. You remember in the Old Testament when the children of Israel harvested their grain or harvested their fruit, they were not to get everything. They were to leave some for the poor to go around and pick it up off the ground. So I want to make it clear I'm not making a judgment about the man that was doing the dumpster diving only to use it as a point that we would assume that he doesn't have this world's goods. But I could see that the possibility of this man, if he makes a good haul a few days in the row, uh, he might want to share some of his uh, uh, rewards for some other poor folks before it goes to waste. Wouldn't be anything wrong with that. But that's not what John is talking about. He's talking about a man or a person that has, he's in possession of this world's goods. He has plenty. He has plenty. And I want to extend this to spiritual bounties. In other words, if you have some spiritual insight that you could assist a brother in need, then you are to do that. So what are you talking about? Well, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse, well, let me get to 2 Corinthians. I was looking at first. I knew that didn't look right. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 3, Blessed be the God, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. In other words, if God has blessed you with spiritual bounties, in this case comfort, and you see somebody else that needs to be comforted, then you need to share your comfort with them. That's the reason I say it might be as simple as a phone call. Now, I agree that spiritual comfort from God is not this world's goods. It's God's goods. 
But I hope you can see the analogy that I'm using and to follow the principle. In other words, if somebody, let's just say somebody is sick, you might not know what to say, but if you could just go and sit with them, that would be a great benefit. But if you see somebody sick and they need a little comfort some way, somehow, and you just say, well, God bless you, I'm praying for you, and you don't try to go out of your way to do what you can do, how dwells the love of God in you? You see what we're getting at? But John just limits it to this world's goods. And so we'll... uh, We'll do that. I just I wanted to give the other. Let's look at this word that's used for goods here. It's only used eleven times in the scriptures. Look at Mark chapter twelve. For they, verse 44, for all they did cast in of their abundance, talking about the Pharisees, but she that is this widow woman of her want did cast in all that she had even all her living. This word goods in 1 John 3.16 or 17 is this word living in Mark 12.44. The woman cast in all her living. She cast in all her goods. I wish I could remember the brother's name. Probably over 50 years ago, I met this brother. He didn't tell me what I'm about to tell you about him, but his pastor told me about him. He was a very poor man. He was a coal worker, worked in the coal mines. I remember preaching at this congregation and he sat on the second row to the right of the pulpit all the way to the end of the row to the right. But he leaned over the first pew just like he was drinking in every word the preacher was saying. Come to find out this man was a, like I said, he wasn't very rich. But more than once in his lifetime, 
he gave away his last hundred dollars that he had to help somebody. No wonder he drank in the Word of God like a thirsty heart, a deer thirsting for the water brooks. He was like this widow woman cast in all their living at various times. And he wasn't a bachelor. He had a wife. But his testimony was he never missed a meal. He said, you can't outgive God. That man has made a lasting impression on me throughout my life. I've thought of him quite often. Sad to say, I don't think I've mentioned him very often in sermons. I haven't thought about it that way, but uh, he was just an older gentleman on, uh, I guess, Social Security at that time. Luke chapter 8. Verse 14. This word cast in all their living. This world's goods. Luke 8. Chapter 8. Verse 14. And that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and the pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. It's the pleasures of this life. World's goods, in other words. In other words, you see that he's talking about just everyday things. Food, clothing, shelter, Verse 43 of chapter 8. And a woman having an issue of blood twelve years, which had spent all her living, there it is, upon physicians, neither could be healed of any. Luke 15. Luke chapter 15. Verse 12, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth unto me. And he divided unto them his living. Verse 30, But as soon as this thy son was come and hath devoured thy living with harlots upon thou hast killed Thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. This is this word, world's goods, in John, 1 John 3 and 17. Let me, I'll, let me quickly go through these others. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 
First Timothy two two. For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Life. First Peter four three. First Peter chapter four, verse three. For the time past of our life may suffice us. The word life there again. And then in 1 John 2, verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Alright, that's a few places where this word, world's good, is used. Well, our time is up. We want to look a little bit more into this verse. But you see what he's talking about. He's talking about just the very the, the very essence of life. And if you've got this world's goods, and you see somebody, a Christian, that is in need, you say, well, could you give it to somebody that's not a Christian? Yes, you could do that. But the text is, Whosoever seeth his brother have need. If you're not willing to do it for your brethren, and you're not willing to give of what you have, you don't have the love of God in you. In other words, if you're not giving of what you have, what are you doing? If you're not loving, you're what? You're hating Him. See, it has nothing to do with how you feel about it or what you think about Him, is what you're doing toward Him. This is biblical love and biblical hatred. When it, said, when it says that God loved Jacob and hated Esau, He chose Jacob, but He didn't choose Esau. It wasn't that He felt bad against about Esau. He just left Esau where he was. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for the clarity of Your Word. Help us to realize how concrete, how clear Your instruction is when we break it down and see it to be what it is. Help us to live as You would have us to live to Your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, Amen.